I first heard of Edouard Salgado Mackenzie and his impossible novel on an otherwise lousy research trip to Sao Paulo. The city itself wasn't the problem. I was back after four years away. I'd lived there for two years as a Mormon missionary and was as pleasantly confounded by Sao Paulo as ever. Hallucinated city, as Jackie Tomlins dubbed it in his loose translation of Mario Jandraje's iconic poetry collection, Palisea Gisvarada. I can see where Tomlins was coming from, but in spite of Sao Paulo's mind-boggling immensity and the dream logic of its juxtaposed neighborhoods, I've always found this city much too tangible to be a hallucination. The warm, gritty air against my skin, the bouncily sardonic Paulistano Portuguese in my ears, the oregano-seasoned fillings of warm sagaginhos on my tongue, the aggressively uneven sidewalks beneath my tired feet. No, the city wasn't the problem. Funded by a young religious novelist grant, I was in Sao Paulo to research my first book, an expansive Romana clay based on my time as a missionary and buttressed by exhaustive research conducted in the city where I'd worked. That's what I was aiming for anyway. But four days into my trip, I ran into serious trouble. At the time of this trip to Brazil, summer 2009, I was living below a donut shop in Provo, Utah, in what some, my landlord, might call a studio apartment, and others, anyone but my landlord, might call a windowless basement storage room with a shoddy RV-style bathroom in the corner and the constant stench of rancid cooking oil in the air. I'd graduated from college at the same time the economy had gone belly up, so job prospects had been grim. I found part-time work at a nearby flower shop called Nothing But Flowers and was barely getting by. My original plan had been to wait out the economic storm in grad school, but after two rounds of applications to 17 different MFA programs had resulted in nothing but rejections, it seemed clear that this wasn't going to happen. During my second round of applications, though, I'd also applied for a handful of fellowships and grants. And about a month after my last MFA rejection, I got a letter informing me I'd been awarded a young religious novelist grant. I would be given $7,000 to research and compose a novel that elucidated the joys of 21st century religious experience. You've probably never heard of a young religious novelist grant before. Okay, you've definitely never heard of a young religious novelist grant before, because that's not what it's really called. This seems like as good a time as any to let you know that I've changed the names and distinguishing characteristics of several people and institutions who appear in this account. As I think will become clear, I have good reason for doing so. I hadn't heard of the grant before I'd applied, but the prospect of $7,000 thrilled me. I was less thrilled when the contract arrived. Even though I couldn't understand a lot of the legal jargon, I did get the sense that there might be some pretty thick strings attached to the money. I couldn't find much about the YRNG online, only that the grant's sponsoring organization was a group called the Coalition of Aggrieved Christians whose name made me nervous. They had virtually no internet presence, which worried me even more. The letter did include a contact number, so I gave it a call. When I introduced myself to the man who answered, he sounded glad to hear from me. He said his name was Wayne Fortescue, and his job was to answer any questions I had about the grant. Perfect, I said. What can you tell me about the Coalition of Aggrieved Christians? Our sponsoring organization, he said. You've done some research. Yeah, I said. I actually couldn't find much about them online. That's a very deliberate move, said Wayne Fortescue, 
like it was supposed to impress me. Why? I said. They don't like to toot their own horn, said Fortescue. They're very modest. In short, though, the CAC's mission is to defend and enhance the quality of religious experience in America for folks like you and me. All right, I said evenly, like his answer hadn't set off all sorts of alarm bells. And what does that involve exactly? Just like a writer, he said, full of questions. I thought I detected a hint of warning in this response. If you're not comfortable talking about this, I said, are you kidding me? said Fortescue. I love nothing more than talking about the coalition. Ask me whatever you want. He said it cheerfully, but with a sharp undertone that suggested I should be sorry for asking any questions at all. That alone would normally be enough for me to end the conversation right there. $7,000, though. What I'm looking for, I said, is a basic overview of what the coalition does. Fortescue rattled off a boilerplate response that was high on praise for the coalition's virtues and low on concrete information regarding what they actually did or believed. I decided to explore a different avenue. I guess my biggest question, I said, is whether the novel I write needs to conform in any way to the coalition's ideologies, whatever those might be. Oh no, said Fortescue, a little too quickly. Of course not. That's not what this is at all. Not at all. So I can write about whatever I want, I said. I needed an explicit yes. We're here to help you, said Fortescue. I can write about whatever I want then, I said. The grant committee was very interested in the novel you proposed. Mormon missionaries in Brazil? That's the novel we would hope you'd write. And that is what I'm planning on writing, I began. Good, interrupted Fortescue. But what I'd like to know is if there's any situation where you guys would, I don't know, ask for your money back or something. I'd meant the question as a joke, but it came out with an involuntary tremor. That rarely happens, said Fortescue, his voice low and soothing. Rarely, I said. Rarely? 